Hope FM, Faith-Filled Radio. As you know, I like to talk to people on this programme and people come from such a range of backgrounds. And my very first guest today is Chris Coleman and he was literally born in the country of uh, Iran. Good morning uh, to you, Chris. Good morning, Blair. Thanks for having me on. Now, obviously, life literally did begin for you uh, in, in the country of, of Iran. You, you had missionary parents. Have you got many memories at all uh, of those very early days? Yes, I have uh, a lot of memories of those early days. Unfortunately, I've never been back since uh, we left, or my parents left when I was about uh, 10, 11. But... Um, it is the most wonderful country you can think of. And the impression that uh, people get of uh, Iran, particularly with the revolution and Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, is completely false. They are the most hospitable people you could ever want to meet. So, so initially, life for you then was very, very positive. And of course, as you quite rightly said there, the picture of Iran, as you remember, it was quite different from the Iran that some of us might think of today. Yes, yeah. And uh, apart from the sort of uh, the clergy and the people um, in, uh, as rulers there, um, the ordinary Iranian is uh, a wonderful person, wonderful. Now, your parents were, were, were missionaries. Were, were they independent, or did, did they go out with any particular mission? No, when they, uh, when they got married fairly soon after that, they initially went to Palestine, as it was then. Um, and they were there for just under a year or so, and then they got shot at, which happened fairly regularly for, with my mum and dad. They seemed to court trouble wherever they went, which my dad loved. I'm not sure my mum did so much. Uh, and then the mission organization they were with, which was the CMJ, Church's Ministry to the Jews, decided it's probably better if they came home. Um, so they um, got them to come back to England uh, and left all their possessions there, which was in the end going to be the second time they had to do that. Um, and then uh, CMJ seconded them to CMS, which was the Anglican uh, Missionary Society, to go to uh, Iran, or Persia as it was then. My dad was a medical doctor, um, and they said you'd be there for a year or two. They did, in fact, the first time uh, stay there for 17 years, which was uh, when myself and, uh, and my three brothers were born there as well. Now, of course, uh, eventually trouble was to come uh, to, to your mom and dad. Do you, you want to say in what form it came? Yes, this was um, some years later, in fact, because they came back um, after 17 years there, um, made a very wise decision, um, I think, for all of us. That was to come back to sort of help us through our teenage years and find wives and, um, uh, you know, sort things out, as it were. And, in fact, three of us got married during that time uh, because we were all at boarding school, um, uh, and then uh, they decided to go back to Iran, but this time not to Shiraz, which is the sort of third um, biggest uh, city in Iran. They went to uh, a desert town called Yazd, um, which in fact was a, or is a World Heritage Site. Uh, and they went there just before the Khomeini Revolution, uh, which was back in 70, 
879 um, and they were there for about a year or so and then they got taken hostage um, uh, during that time um, and they were held for six or seven months it was um, uh, which was an interesting time um, uh, they were um, because they spoke the language because they knew the culture um, they were uh, very much um, looking to befriend the Iranian people. Um, and in fact, so much so that my mum landed up darning their socks. This is the Revolutionary Guards. Um, and uh, they got on really well in that thing. So in fact, when they were uh, released, um, my dad actually rang the governor of the police there, which was really just uh, one of uh, the Shah's um, palaces that were taking over um, and thanked him very much for looking after him. <laughs> so, um, and then it was Terry White um, uh, about uh, well, Christmas of that year, but in fact they got released in February. Uh, it was Terry White who came to prominence when he negotiated their release um, and uh, they maintained a uh, a lovely relationship, friendship with uh, Terry. He's still alive. Uh, in fact, he was down here in Bournemouth about a year ago just uh, speaking about his experiences. Mm. And, of course, he, so, yeah. he, he himself was taken hostage, wasn't he? Obviously, He, ha- he was, yes. Having such strong, strong parents, and, and obviously you said your dad pretty much relished the adventures. Maybe your mum was a bit more challenged, but nevertheless, it sounds that she found her knack in darning those socks, and, and no doubt, no, no doubt, the person that she was. But having having parents like that, you know, so committed in their faith, must have had a, a profound effect on you and, and your brothers. Uh, yes, it did very much so. Um, uh, my father was actually born in Cairo, and his father was born in Cairo, so uh, sort of a real a legacy of, uh, of missionary and, and missionaries and missionary work and so on. And that's what my dad wanted to do ever since he was a little child. And so did I, actually, at that point. Um, uh, I, I was going to be a missionary doctor like my father, um, but then I met my wife, Rachel, uh, when I was 11, and decided that was uh, too oh. much of a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. It was young. It was young love, which of course oh, I sh- it was young love. And I should say it was long, uh, long enduring love as well, because obviously yeah, you're very much, uh, uh, very much uh, together still with with Rachel. Yes. Lots and lots yes. of lots and lots of memories. Hope FM, faith-filled radio. Well, we've already heard how uh, Chris's parents had a profound uh, effect on him right through his life. But Chris, how did you come to find your own your own level of faith? Um, I think for many people listening, maybe being brought up in Christian homes and so on, uh, that can be uh, quite a burden at times. And uh, I think it probably was for me as well. Um, but again, my parents were very wise. They didn't push it down our throats and so on. Um, and uh, when I look back, um, I do thank God for them. I do thank God for the Christian home and so on. Uh, it was around about when I was 10 or 11 that I actually came to a personal faith in Jesus. Um, and uh, like with much of what I do in life, I threw myself into it. Um, 
but then when I was at boarding school, um, it was perhaps a, a different experience, a different life that I was living there because, uh, amazingly, I always knew and believed that I was a Christian, that God had saved me, but I didn't want anyone to know that, uh, particularly it was an all-boys uh, boarding school. Um, and uh, for probably three or four years or a bit more, um, I really didn't want anyone to know uh, that I was a Christian, and that went very much the opposite direction. And then it was around about just before I was 16, before I left school, uh, I had an experience of the Lord, which wasn't a sort of dramatic experience. Um, I wasn't falling down and jumping up and down and all the rest of it. But somehow God had touched my heart again. Um, and uh, that set me on the road to um, knowing more about him. And when I came back from school at that point, went to a local technical college in East London, um, I began to realize that uh, I needed to live for him um, because of all that he'd done for me. It just became personal, as I expect many people would relate to as well. Now, yeah. so having come through that, and of course it's not uncommon for, for people, you know, to, as you say, go off the rails for a while, but then when, you know, coming back. But of course the, the journey was to take you to Moreland's College. So theological training appears on, on, the, on the horizon. Where did that idea come from? Um, just going back a year or two, or a few years actually, um, I've said to one or two people since we've been moving down, moved down here, rather. Um, I met Rachel, my wife, when I was about 11, and I know people find this extremely difficult to understand, but I knew almost instantly that I was going to marry her, uh, even at the age of 11. Um, uh, it just took me about seven, eight years to convince her that it was a good idea. Um, <laughs> so... Um, at that point, uh, we were going out. We weren't sort of going out very seriously. This was at the time when I was about 17 or so. Um, and then uh, within a year or so, we became uh, very serious, and uh, we got married when uh, Rachel was uh, 21, and I was just uh, just 20, just a week or so, uh, 20 or so. And... At that point, I was really um, involved in the local church where we were in East London, uh, and I wanted to uh, to know not only more about the Lord, but wanted to know what it meant to really serve Him. Um, and I thought about going, or we thought about going to Bible college. Um, and at that point, actually, the only one we really looked at was Moreland's Bible College, as it was then. Now it's uh, Moreland's College. Um, and I came down here for an interview, uh, and uh, um, we were accepted to study there. Um, it was one of these sort of, in a sense, a leap of faith. We packed up everything in our flat, which we'd had for a year since we got married. We were expecting our first child. Um, and we put everything into a van and drove down to Bournemouth. And absolutely... Um, convinced that God would show us to the right place that evening as we walked down, <laughs> as we drove down, rather. Uh, and, of course, we came down here, nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, and I think it did rock our faith a bit. 
but um, it's a bit of a long story, but um, uh, we did actually find somewhere um, to stay that night and uh, eventually found the place in Powner in uh, Hangersley by Ringwood and so on, and we were here for two years. So the, those two years that you had uh, in Moorings, was, was it two years that you were at college? Yes, it was, yes, yeah. So did, did it have a profound effect on you? I mean, and, and, I mean, obviously when people go to Bible college, sometimes they, they know what they want to do and they do a particular youth work stream or pastoral stream or something mm. like that. What about, you, what about you and Rachel? Did you, did, you, did you know what you wanted to do? No, no, we had no idea, really. Um, it, it was different to what it was now, where many of the courses, probably all the courses, are degree courses. Um, then we didn't have any degree courses. This is back in 73 to 75. Um, and there was just the diploma course. Um, I enjoyed the time very much. Um, uh, and uh, I benefited from it, but we didn't really know what we were going to do. Uh, and uh, we did look at one or two churches with a view to pastoring those churches. I'm very glad we didn't. Um, and then uh, I got involved or got, got in touch with an organization called TES, which is the Evangelization Society. Um, it's basically a group or a fellowship of evangelists um, and uh, they're not actually in existence anymore. They're more like a grant-aiding body at the moment. Um, and uh, each of the evangelists were able to um, to pursue where God had gifted them. Uh, so there was a guy who did tent missions, other people who did uh, work amongst older people. Um, and I took on, uh, all, more or less by default actually, but... Uh, I took on doing quite a lot of work within schools up and down the country. Um, and uh, I took young people's house parties, uh, two or three of those were in fact were in your um, home province of Northern Ireland um, and some in Scotland and so on. And I enjoyed those very much. So um, I did that for five years in the end, but it was um, what we found was our... Uh, family were increasing. Uh, by this time, we had three, and I think another one on the way. Um, and also, uh, they were growing up, so we felt it was right that um, you know I should be more locally based with the family. And so, I got involved in a Christian bookshop that was run from our church in uh, East London. Um, and Rachel worked in that uh, uh, bookshop actually for many, many years, uh, even after I'd left there. So as you yeah. as you as you look back uh, on those on those years and to where you are now, Chris, uh, do you value the sort of learning that you had? And then, of course, you had a huge amount of of life experience as you've just outlined. Yes, I did value it. Um, I think probably uh, my faith has changed, not in terms of its fundamentals, but more in terms of being an intelligent faith. Um, I have no problems whatsoever in people uh, questioning their faith um, and uh, seeing where where it all holds together. I think when I was at Bible College, it was possibly a bit more sort of um, um, predictive, if that's the right word. 
Um, but I think what I've what I've learned is that our faith uh, is able to withstand good questioning. Um, so uh, that's that's been a, an experience in my life. But I did value our, the time I had at uh, at uh, Morelands very much, so mm-hmm. and made some good friends at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, you you raise the question of uh, of of questioning and so on. And I guess if most of us are honest, we would go through periods where the same thing. We, you know, we we simply don't have the the answers. In fact, particularly where we are right now, uh, no one really yeah. can definitively say you know uh, definite answers to so many many things. And of course, these things raise questions. But would you say that the questions that you were asking of yourself and indeed of of others did they ultimately strengthen your faith? So even though if you're like me, Chris, you'll, you'll have a load of questions uh, and no answers to them. Uh, but actually, in quite an amazing way, uh, when we go through these sorts of processes, it deepens uh, our faith. Uh, was that was that yes. true for you? Yes, it does. Yes, yes, yeah, and it and it has. Um, it's allowed me to question um, the basis of our faith. It's. Uh, and if faith is real, it has to hold up um, in areas of, of great difficulty and great um, questioning. I mean, one of the things in my life is I've been, uh, I, I suffer from depression and have done for all, all 30, 35, 40 years. Um, and there are some very difficult times during during that period. My father did as well, although that was in the in the days where people used to say to you, pull your socks up and get on with it. Mm. And there's a lot more help nowadays than there was then. Um, but through all of that, um, I I know that God is real. Um, I may not have all the answers, but I know that God is real and I know that he has me. Hope FM, Faith-Filled Radio. Well, as you know, my very special guest today is is Chris Coleman, and I now have the final part uh, of my interview with him uh, th- this morning. Well, Chris, uh, we said that we 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 leave it to right right to the end, and uh, but one thing I wanted to pick up with you was because you 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 very honestly uh, disclosed there uh, that all your life that you you've suffered from depression. There are many many people, of course, uh, uh, like yourself, who do, and and. At least these days, we're able to talk about these things uh, uh, yes. a lot more. How, how have you? How have you coped? And and have you had? Have you had much in the way of negative opinion of people might say? You know, how could you possibly be depressed because you're a Christian? <laughs> um, I have had some uh, negative uh, uh, feedback. Not a lot, though. I have to be honest. Um, but having said that, uh, you say nowadays we can talk about it more, and that's uh, entirely true, and I think it's a very good thing. Um, although I'm afraid, uh, for me, uh, talking therapies do absolutely nothing. Um, and uh, in, in my time, which is over many years, as I say, I, I got in touch with a very good consultant in uh, East London, um, and... Uh, most of my treatment really has been through uh, medication um, and at times uh, it's been very helpful at other times it's almost as if nothing's happening um, but into all of that um, I have the most wonderful wife 
um, <laughs> and uh, she's a real woman of faith um, and has stuck by me uh, for many, many years, um, as indeed have the family. But uh, Rachel is one of these rare breeds, and I'm sure you'll say the same about Jan uh, Blair. But Yes, indeed. Um, we're, we're, we're blessed to have such <laughs> wonderful wives, aren't we? Yes, yeah. And um, she's just incredible. Well, um, you see, you made yeah. the you made the right choice, Chris. You know, oh, uh, from um, <laughs> from knowing. I think you said you were eleven. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. right. And although it took Rachel a wee bit longer <laughs> to, to to know that well, you. Perhaps, were. Perhaps she, yeah, perhaps she knew what was going to uh, befall her, as it were, as as our lives came together. Um, but certainly, she stuck by me, which is terrific. So, yeah. so you'll have to tell her that. She's on my list of being a special guest, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll say my, my life with Chris. That would make a gr- that would make a great interview, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, of course, uh, of course, uh, you, uh, you 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 mentioned uh, Christmas Day. Um, and, uh, in fact, I I was sat next to you. I think because we were we were at church on on Christmas yeah. Eve and and on Christmas Day, and uh, and I was just when I heard the news that. Uh, that you'd had this was it was it a it was a massive uh, heart attack wasn't it? Well, it was what's called an aortic dissection, which is basically uh, well, it was a triple tear in the aorta, which is the main uh, vessel that runs from the heart and then up and then down around the body. Um, and uh, <coughs> that's about the the sum total of my knowledge of it, except that. There's a there's a type A and a type B, and apparently I had both. Um, so now, of course, this is one of these times whenever because obviously your 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 family stepped up to the mark, and again the lovely mm. Rachel that you've or, you've already said, and of course the church, and I guess that this is when church families really come into their own because I know that there yes. were people praying individually for you. There were the church was praying corporately uh, for mm. you, and I and I know that. Mm. That for yourself now, you really—you're uh, disappointing me, Chris. Really, because I—I mm-hmm. I was wanting to talk to you about about the light and you walking down the tunnel towards the light and you, you know, what you <laughs> what you saw, you know, in terms of heaven. But the thing is that you can't remember a thing, can you? I I can't. Well, I could no, I can't remember a thing after about the first sort of hour or two after it happened. Um, and uh, you say about the church praying and so on, that's another of the greatest blessings that God has given us down here at Bournemouth. We retired down here to Bournemouth, and in fact we lived just around the corner from Emmanuel Church. Um, and if anyone had told us that we were going to go to a mainline church, particularly a URC church, uh, we wouldn't have believed them. And especially the church as it was then had two enormous uh, oak doors, which were very imposing and almost saying to people, don't come in here or dare you come in here. <laughs> so but actually, we joined the church probably about two years ago, and um, again, they they are a wonderful uh, group of people, um, very committed to the Lord, very committed to one another. And certainly at that time, Christmas Day, uh, we came back from the uh, uh, service in the morning, and I was just sitting in the lounge, and uh, Rachel was getting the lunch ready. And in fact, I think she called out to me that she wanted to have the, the turkey carved. Mm. Um, but at that point, I had the most searing pain 
in my chest, um, and I couldn't really move or anything. So I, I rather weakly said, so I'm sorry, I can't do it at the moment. Anyhow, cut a long story short, um, we called the ambulance and they came. Um, and at that point, they weren't entirely sure what it was, but they took me into Bournemouth, uh, and then the consultant saw me there and sent me off to Southampton. Another one, <coughs> sorry, another one of these wonderful coincidences, as it were. If anyone's thinking of having an aortic dissection, make sure you do it near to Southampton Hospital because uh, they're experts at it and uh, the care there was, was wonderful. So I was sent off blue-lighted in the ambulance to... Uh, Southampton and I saw the surgeon there um, I don't quite remember exactly what he said but it was something along the lines of let's get on with it because you've only got 20% chance of living um, and I think most people uh, when they have something like this they either die in the ambulance um, or die on the operating table and I did none, no, none of those mm. Uh, and so a little bit later on, I don't quite know why they waited so long, but I had an operation that lasted between 10 and 12 hours. Mm. They stopped the oxygen or um, reduced the oxygen to my brain for eight hours, which is uh, a couple of hours longer than normal in this situation because I had to do the bypass and so on. Um, and that was the end of the operation. But from there, I... I remember literally nothing in Southampton until I was moved from the high dependency unit there uh, to Bournemouth after about three to four weeks. Um, and this is the thing which, you know, I talked about Rachel being wonderful and the family being wonderful. I don't know what what it, you know, what it was to them um, or what it meant to them. Um, because they had no idea whether I would wake up if I did wake up, whether I'd be damaged and um, when I would wake up and so on. Um, and so they sat very patiently with faith, believing um, that God could do something in, in my life physically, as it were. Well, the but fact having said that, I, could, I was just going to say, having said that, I was feel a little bit of a fraud saying that because there are many people who've had uh, situations like this and who've died. So does that mean that God doesn't love them? Uh, and that clearly is not the case. But in our case, I am very grateful um, for what the Lord has done. Um, and really, I have had very little, if any, um, you know, problems since coming out the coma and then starting the re rehabilitation. In fact, so much so that I'm uh, back out building again, um, yeah. which is a real love of my life. Well, the truth of the matter yeah. is that you're, uh, well, I guess two things. One, you're a doer and you have been all, all your life. I mean, you, mm. clearly that's come out. But, but also, Chris, uh, you better watch out because uh, it's what you've been saved for. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For more inspirational interviews, podcasts and Hope FM best bits, visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.